Well, amen. Well, good morning again. I know all of you are doing well because you've already told me that, or you were lying to me, one or the other. I'm not, I'm not sure. Well, um, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to read the entirety of chapter 8 this morning. We're going to do what we did last week. We're just going to kind of break it up as we walk through each point and each sub-point together. Our message point this morning is this. Jesus provides a better covenant. Jesus provides a better covenant. On June 14, 1997, I stood on a stage similar to this one, and I exchanged wedding vows with my beautiful wife. And, and the preacher had us repeat after each other. And when, as we did that, I promised her that I would love her, protect her, honor her, respect her, stay faithful to her, watch over her during times of sickness, during times of good health, until death do us part. On that day, both of us to one another said, I do. Following that service, our pastor, Brother Draper, and us, we signed our marriage um, license together. And the ceremony gave evidence before God and those in attendance that our marriage was binding in the eyes of God. That marriage license gave evidence to the state of Texas that we were husband and wife. Just like us, when you exchange vows and signed that marriage last, and you entered into a covenant relationship with your spouse, didn't you? You were recognized by Christ as well as by the state of Texas, as, or the state you were married in, as being husband and wife. A covenant, again, is a binding agreement that one enters into with another. Notice our first point this morning. It is this. Notice the the, that Jesus is a better minister. Okay, what we're going to do with this first point is we're going to look at um, the personhood of Christ as well as his ministry. And so turn with me to Hebrews chapter 8, um, and, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1 together. And, and this is what we read. Now the main, or the point in what we are saying is this. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever met someone that has a tendency to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and, and, and you're, you're like, get to the point and it just, they go on and on and they can never get to the point. You ever met somebody like that? I think we all have. Some of you are looking at me and like, yeah, every week. Um, but I love what Chief used to say. He used to say, keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus is the main point in Hebrews. Jesus is the main point of the entire Bible. He's the main point of all things, isn't he? So notice this. Okay, we looked at this a little bit last week, but notice um, by way of reminder that Jesus is perfect. In verse 26 of Hebrews chapter 7, we'll read, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. These words could never be said of another priest, could they? Remember, over the past many weeks, we've been talking about the priesthood of Christ, how he is our high priest, and how his order comes after the order of Melchizedek and not after the order of Levi. In Hebrews chapter 7, we read, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, 
first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. As a high priest, Jesus did not offer up a sacrifice on behalf of the sins of the people, did he? He became our sin sacrifice, didn't he? He went to the cross and he died upon the cross and he shed his blood, providing a permanent covering for all of us in this room. And following his death and resurrection, we are told of Jesus' posture. Notice how he is seated. Again, in verse 1, we read, Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Why does the author tell us here about Jesus' posture? Now, we've already read about his posture before in Hebrews. We've also looked in, in if you've read through the Bible, in Hebrews chapter 110, we read of, of the prophetic text saying that Jesus would take his rightful seat at the right hand of the throne of God. But why is this posture important? Here's the thing about the high priest, okay? Their work, they were always working. They were always representing man before God. Their work was never done. It was exhausting. There were sacrifices that needed to be performed, ceremonial washings. There were offerings. There were priests that needed to be looked after. In fact, um, there, are, there were no chairs even in the Old Testament tabernacle because the work of the priest was never done. When Jesus took his rightful seat next to the Father in heaven, that right there gave us confirmation that the work that he did as our great high priest was done. As Jesus spoke from the cross before he breathed his last, he breathed to telestai. It is finished. This word means I did exactly, exactly what I set out to do. When Jesus took his seat, it was confirmation that his work was completed, that the work the Father sent him to do was done. You understand and realize, my friends, that all of us in this room have work to do, right? We've been set apart by God as his children to do work. We have work to do when it comes to raising our, our children and our grandchildren and those that the Lord entrusts us with. We have work to do... Uh, uh, when it comes to advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ across the street and around the world. We have work to do serving other people and pointing them to Jesus Christ. Notice the work Jesus does today. We are told that he is ministering. In verse 2, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Jesus dwells not in a tent made with human hands, does he? He dwells in a tent, and in, 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 in not even a tent. He dwells in the temple in heaven, one that was spoken to existence by God the Father. And today he ministers from his rightful seat next to the Father in heaven. Next we see his offering. In verse 3, for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for the priest also to have something to offer. Every priest, what did they do? They endlessly offered up offerings to God on behalf of sinful man. Jesus does not do that today because he became the final sin sacrifice. His body 
was that sacrifice, that offering that was being offered up to God the Father. When he offered up himself, he ended once and for all the need for the old sacrificial system, didn't he? Next, we see his credentials. In verses 4 and 5, we read, Now, if, we are, if, we, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. Since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, they serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the temple, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Here the writer begins with, now if he were on earth, if Jesus Christ was still here today, he would not be a priest according to the Levitical law. You remember that from last week? Why wouldn't he be a priest? Because he wasn't tr- from the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Judah. Every priest, according to the law, had to come from the tribe of Levi. Jesus would not have been qualified, according to the Old Testament law, to be a priest. We are told here that the tabernacle built by Moses serves as a copy or a shadow of the heavenly temple where Jesus is seated today. Next, we see his promise in verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a better ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. What does a mediator do? Think to yourself, what does a mediator do? A mediator brings two people or two parties together. Um, They act as a go-between, don't they? Moses was the mediator of the old covenant, the old law. Jesus is our mediator today. He is our go-between. He is the one that provides for us direct access into the heavenlies, isn't he? Direct access into the very presence of God the Father. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you know Jesus? Have you become a recipient of the gift of eternal life? Jesus said, acting as our mediator, Jesus said in John 14, 6, Um, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. Jesus is our go-between. He is our mediator, isn't he? That leads us to our next point. Jesus is a better covenant. Within the pages of Scripture, we find a number of covenants, don't we? Now, again, a covenant is an agreement an agreement that God has made with his people. Some of them are conditional covenants. Some of them are unconditional covenants. Let's look at a couple of of the covenants in Scripture. There was God's covenant with Noah. This was an unconditional covenant. What did God promise Noah? That he would never again flood the entirety of the world. Next, we see God's covenant with Abraham. This also was an unconditional covenant. What was the promise that God gave Abraham? That that his descendants would outnumber the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on the seashore. There was God's covenant with Moses. This was a conditional covenant. Okay, with this covenant came the law. 
Not only was it the Ten Commandments, but there was additional hundreds of other laws that were enacted upon the people, and the people were expected to follow them. If the people obeyed the law, guess what would happen? Blessings would come to them. If they disobeyed the law, cursing would come to them. So we see here that it was conditional. Then there was also God's covenant with David, another unconditional covenant. What did God promise David? That the Messiah would come from his tribe, from, 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 his, from, from, from his bloodline, from the tribe of Judah. And then finally, there is the new covenant. This is God's covenant with us today. It is a unconditional covenant. It is a covenant of grace, of love, and of forgiveness. The new covenant is a promise. It is an agreement that God has made with every person that will come to faith in Jesus Christ. Notice why there was a need for a new covenant. The old covenant had flaws. Read with me in verses 7 through 9. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no, no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, and I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I show no concern for them, declared the Lord. You know, it is not that the, the, the covenant had flaws, right? But the people were the ones that had the flaws. The writer tells us, for he finds fault with them. The law was fine. The people were the ones that were not fine. You know, um, I, I, believe it or not, happened to be a little bit of a problem child um, growing up. Okay, um, how many of you remember back um, to the good old days? If you acted up in school, you were introduced to the board of education. Remember those days? How many of you in this room were ever introduced to the board of education? Raise your hand. I I'm surprised. Peggy, seriously? Wow. We're going to pray for you at the end of this service. I would expect Chris to have raised his hand, but not, not you. But uh, on, one, on more, more than one occasion, I was introduced to this board. In fact, um, in elementary school, in the second grade was the first time. I would be introduced to it a couple of times in elementary school. Again, in middle school, I would be introduced to it. And, and in junior high, I would be introduced to it. Um, but going into high school, I got smart. I realized that if I just kept my mouth closed, then I would spare myself the pain of that board of education. You know, why did I get those licks? Every time it was because I broke the law or the code of conduct for Plano Independent School District or Wiley Independent School District, because I broke it in, in both of those, and, and, and or the coach's code. Um, you know, if you ever had a coach, you know that they kind of had their own code, right? Um, there was the law, that was established by the ISD, and then there was the added laws that the coaches put upon you. Remember those good old days there? But here's the deal, okay? There was nothing wrong with the code. The problem was me. God's law was perfect. There was absolutely nothing wrong with it. 
The problem was the people. They took their eyes off of God, and, and they lived their lives independent of God, and, and they lived in defiance of the law. It was not a bad covenant, but bad people that ultimately led to a new covenant. Think about it for just a moment. Here we see grace in action, don't we? God's people constantly told him no, constantly lived in defiance of him, constantly broke the law. So how does God discipline us? Does he wipe us off the face of the earth? Does he just um, wrap up shop and wash his hands of his creation? Absolutely not. He sent Jesus, who provided for us a better covenant. He provided for us the amazing gift of grace for those who would respond in faith to Jesus. We serve a good God, don't we? What we deserved was death, but what we were given the opportunity to receive was life. Notice what the new covenant does. The new covenant transforms. In verse 10 we read, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. What the writer is doing here is he is quoting um, Jeremiah. At the time of Jeremiah's writing, of, of these quoted words, the nation was divided. You had the 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 tri are the northern tribe Israel, the southern tribe Judah. Okay, the the Israel had already been brought into captivity, and Judah is on the brink of being brought into Babylonian captivity. And Jeremiah writes these words as they're on the on the brink of being brought into captivity, and and. This new covenant that he writes about would be a covenant for the divided house, for both Israel and Judah. It would be a new covenant for both the Jews and the Gentiles. It is a covenant God has made with each and every one of us in this room and those outside the doors of this church. And this new covenant, notice what it does. It provides a new heart, doesn't it? The Mosaic covenant, what was it written upon? It was written on stone, wasn't it? But the new covenant, we are told here, is written on the hearts of men and women and students and children. And we are told here that, that the Lord will put his laws into our minds and write them on our hearts. Do you remember what the old law was? It was all about external works, wasn't it? It was very much about um, if you do this, then, for example, you sin, then you do X in order to receive forgiveness. You have a disobedient kid, what are you to do? You are to, well, it says drag them outside the city gates and stone them to death. Um, but, but, you know, you all know that because some of you um, have been on the brink of doing that to your kids at a time or two in their lives, right? Um, you get a skin disease, and you do this. If your oxen kills somebody, you do this. It was all about being obedient to the law. And when you were not obedient, you had to do something to make appeasement for your wrongdoing, right? With the new covenant, that is not the case. When a person enters into a relationship with Jesus Christ and they are saved, 
they are forgiven of their sins. Their heart changes. Their mind changes. The way we love other people changes as well. They go from dead men or dead women walking to men and women who have been made fully alive in Christ. And I pray that every single one of us in this room have been made fully alive in Christ. With this transformation comes a promise. I will be their God and they shall be my people. When a person enters into an eternal relationship with Jesus, they become a part of the family of God. I love what John 1, 12 and 13 says. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. When you enter into a relationship with God the Father, you become a child of his. Next, we see the new covenant guarantee. In verse 11, we read, Then they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. These are a continuation of the quoted verses from Jeremiah. But here the writer reminds us that there is coming a day when there will be no more need for evangelism. There's a coming a day when everyone will know who the Lord is. Obviously, that's a day in the future. But within these verses, there is also a promise. They shall all know me from the least of these to the greatest. In the days of old, people needed a priest or a prophet to represent them before God the Father. It was, it was almost like a, 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 a caste system that you had the ones who spoke for God and then you had the people. But today, that is not the case. Today, we don't need a priest or a prophet to intercede for us because today we have direct access to God the Father, don't we? Today, we have direct access into the very throne room of God the Father. Notice next, the new covenant provides forgiveness. In verse 12, we read, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In verse 12, the writer of Hebrews concludes the quote from Jeremiah. I love this. What a promise. God will be merciful towards our sin. We are told in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death. The consequences for our sins is death, right? That is what all of us deserve. In 1 John 1, 8, we read, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We are all sinners, right? We are all wretched sinners is what we are. But there is a glorious promise for us wretched sinners in Scripture. In 1 John 2, 2, we read, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Getting back to Romans 6.23, we see this glorious promise. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God wants to give you the gift this morning of eternal life. Repent of your sins if you have not done so and come to Jesus this morning and experience life. Experience forgiveness. Experience freedom. Experience what it means to know that if you were to die today, that you will spend eternity with Christ in heaven. Not only will he forgive our sins, but we are told here that I will remember their sins no more. You may remember your sins. You may be even experiencing the consequences of your past sins. 
But what does that passage of Scripture tell us? God remembers them no more. If you are dwelling upon your past sins, if you are not letting go of your past sins, if you are still beating yourself up for your past sins, stop it now because God's word is clear. He will take those sins that you have been forgiven of and he will remove them as far as the east is from the west and they will be buried in the sea of forgetfulness. Finally, we see here that the old covenant disappeared. In verse 13, we read, In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. You know, it was out with the old and in with the new. The old covenant became obsolete with Jesus. Even as the writer of Hebrews penned these words, there were still daily sacrifices that were happening in the temple. Probably dozens upon dozens of sacrifices were occurring on a daily basis. But here's the sad truth. Every one of those offerings fell upon deaf ears. Because every one of those offerings were, 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 were being offered when that old covenant had been done away with. On the night before Jesus' death, he gathered the disciples into the upper room. <clears throat> and he spoke these words. He said, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take eat. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The words that Jesus spoke here are, are kind of similar to the words that Moses spoke in Exodus chapter 24. In verse 8, Moses spoke these words, and Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. You know, there is a key difference between these two critical moments in history. Moses was speaking of the old covenant. It was all about if you do this, God will do this. Jesus was establishing a new covenant of grace. It's not about what you do, but what Jesus has done for you. Within hours, Jesus would be crucified. His body would be broken, and his blood would be poured out. And here's an important point. God has declared that the Old Testament law has been nailed to his cross. The system of the law is done. It cannot give you access to God anymore. If you want access to God, you must come through Jesus Christ, the new covenant. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is what gives you access to God the Father. Do you know Jesus this, mo this morning? If not, what is keeping you this morning from placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Remember, Jesus provides a better covenant. This morning as we conclude our service together, during our time of invitation, I want to invite you to the table, and we're going to take communion together. And, and if you want to come 
and, and grab one of these cups and, and take it back to your seat, you can do that. Or if you want to come and just kind of kneel across the front of this stage and, and, and just pray and take communion here, you can do that. This is a reminder of, of the blood that Jesus poured out for us, of the, the body that was broken of Jesus on our behalf. Just by way of reminder, if you haven't done um, these cups with us before, the top little strip is access to the wafer, and then open the bottom will give you access to the juice. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And when I say amen, this is going to be both our invitation as well as a time for you to come and take of the Lord's Supper together. But all, if you don't know Jesus, I'm going to be standing here at the front. I would love to share with you how you can enter into a relationship with him. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. Father, thanking you again for this day. Thanking you again for the opportunity to gather together around your word. To gather together, Lord, in song and praise to you. Father, thank you, Lord Jesus, for the new covenant. Thank you for the new covenant of grace. Thank you, Father, that, that our access into heaven is not based on anything that we do. Because on our own, Father, um, we have proven in Scripture what we are capa capable of. And that is being wretched sinners. But we thank you, Jesus, for taking our sins at the moment of our salvation and casting them as far as the east is from the west and burying them in the sea of forgetfulness. Father, be with us now. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, may today be the day of their salvation. If there's someone here this morning, Lord, that you're leading to make friendship their church home, Lord, we pray that they'll do that. If there's someone here that just needs prayer, Father, we're here to pray. But Father, during this time of invitation, as we all gather together around the table, Father, just be glorified as we remember your life, your death, and your resurrection. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.